Well, uh, just uh, if you're newish here, just uh, want to welcome you and say it's good to have you here. And if you're not used to what we're up to, we're preaching as a church through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, so we're up to is the end. It's taking, we're going to take a long time to get through Mark at this rate. We're doing like a couple of verses a week. But we're, we're on a whole five verses. So we're going to tear through the book of Mark now. Five verses today of Mark 1. It's uh, Mark 1, 40 to 45. If you've got a, an old-fashioned page rustling Bible or a, a new-fashioned thing, I hope you've got a signal in here. Uh, but I've got the old-fashioned thing. Oh, hang on. Oh, just a minute. Hang on. Hang on. Did I turn the volume down? Did you turn the volume down? Oh, I did. I'm righteous. Good. Thank you. I can't be embarrassed. It's happened to me several times. So <laughs> tell people to turn the phone off and they don't. So if you've got a phone, if you turn that off, that'd be good because we just really want to think about Jesus for a little bit. So this is, um, the, the Gospel of Mark is written, of course, by John Mark, Peter's little helper. The Apostle Peter had a helper. If you're a helper, that's a good thing. You don't have to be the big guy. You don't have to be the main guy, but you could be the helper and facilitate the main guy's ministry. So Mark, was the, he was the young guy. And he was helping uh, Peter, and he, and he sat at Peter's feet and listened to all his stories. And then before Peter died, they'd, we better write these down. So Peter, he said, tell me, John said, tell me those stories again. And he wrote them all down. And it was, from here, from here, it was urgent. want to get those stories written down. So he wrote down the stories of Jesus. And, and uh, he began in the beginning, of the, this is the gospel of God. That's what Jesus was all about, telling the good news about God. What is God doing in the world? This is the gospel of God. It's not the gospel of some crazy guy. You get on the internet, you can get gospels from everywhere. You get gurus everywhere, influence. They've got all this information to get on the internet. And oh, who knows how much of it is even close to being accurate. But this is the gospel of God. The creator of the universe entered the world in the person of Jesus and preached the truth of the kingdom of God how to know God, how to get right with him, how to live in such a way that we don't hurt people, but we bless people. And so you remember that John the Baptist was the forerunner. He was the one who was sent to prepare the way of the Messiah. So he's a pretty scary dude. He's out in the wilderness preaching, coming in the edge of towns, preaching, repent, the kingdom of God is near. And then they don't like this very much because um, he's quite straight and some prophets can be quite straight. And they'll say, you know, you're sleeping with your sister-in-law, that's no good. And that's what got him killed. John the Baptist called authority to account in the palace. He was arrested, imprisoned, beheaded for being the forerunner and telling the truth. And so Jesus steps up now. Jesus is already on the scene. He's been walking around, getting to know people, doing a few healings, turning water into wine, getting, but gently... Now John's gone, it's his time to step up and to take the center stage. Jesus is now here. He was, be, he was there before doing stuff and John was here, now he's here. So Jesus is here proclaiming the gospel of God, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And so he calls his first disciples and they come to him and he goes to live with them. Comes to the mother-in-law's house, stays there. Oh, it'd be nice if I could stay here and feed you. Oh, let me heal you and then you can feed me. So he immediately starts to live and then he takes his disciples places and begins to teach them what to do and how to live uh, in, in him and uh, so that's where we're up to so now he's got quite the reputation because you don't cast demons out and raise people up who have been sick and stuff without it being news you don't need the internet in little villages to find out that Peter's mother-in-law was sick she had a terrible fever Jesus spoke to her, picked her up by the hand and said come on and she got up immediately and was healed people's attention has been piqued but what happens next is really going to get some attention so um, we come to this reading. It's in, uh, we'll read it together, shall we? It's in 
the back part of Mark, well, uh, yeah. So a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Let's think about what leprosy is. Anybody ever seen somebody with lepra? leprosy? Have you? Little leprosy or very advanced? Advanced. Not a pretty sight, I hear. Yeah, yeah. So this guy, he was a pretty broken guy. To have this disease in his day, I mean, to have it now is no fun. But in his day, this was a catastrophe, having leprosy. Uh, I, I printed off something, I read about it. It's, it's pretty frightening, and I'm glad little kids aren't really in here to hear it. But The Jews taught two thing, thought two things about a leper. One, you are the walking dead. And two, you deserve this, because this is the punishment of God upon you. Jewish customs said that you should not even greet a leper. Custom said you had to stay at least six feet from a leper. If the wind blew towards a person from a leper, they had to keep 150 feet away. One rabbi bragged that he wouldn't even buy an egg on a street where he saw a leper. Another boasted that he threw rocks at lepers to keep them far from him. One other rabbi didn't even allow a leper to wash his face. The only thing more defiling than contact with a leper was contact with a dead body. For these reasons, leprosy was considered a picture of sin and its effects. It was a contagious, debilitating disease that corrupts its victim and makes him essentially dead while alive. Therefore, society and religious people scorned lepers. Rabbis especially despised them because, of course, they thought this was a sign of just how sinful the leper was. So... It starts with sort of a numbness, as I understand it. Leprosy starts with a numbness, sort of a tingling, and then you can't feel it, then bits go numb. And then you start getting sores and rashes, and then they get bigger and bigger, and then the flesh starts to to literally rot. And then it starts to smell. And then as it gets more advanced, then you start losing fingers, toes. I've seen pictures of lepers who've lost their noses, their ears. And eventually you die. Uh, And you can see why they say this is a picture of sin, a symbol of what happens to us when we sin. We start with a certain numbness to it. We don't really feel it. Then it starts to have some effects in our life. And then the effects get bigger. Then the effects get more controlling. Then you feel more isolated. 
then you can't connect with anybody and you feel unclean. Of course, the, the, apart, quite apart from the physical effects, it was the, the spiritual and social effects of having leprosy because let's say you've been diagnosed with leprosy and you go home to tell your family you can't because they could catch it. So when you find out you've got leprosy, you can't even say goodbye. You don't get a kiss goodbye. You don't get a hug goodbye. The most you can hope from your family is that they bring you food and leave it somewhere where you can get it and maybe talk to you upwind for a while. And of course you couldn't come into the temple. You couldn't go to the you couldn't go to the the, the temple. You're cut off from God, as it were. So that's how bad it was. It wasn't just the physical state, it was how... Un- and is it's probably that's why this guy said to him when he came to Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Interesting, he didn't say you can heal me of leprosy. He didn't say take away my leprosy. The thing that hurt him most was how he felt about his leprosy. He felt unclean, and he was ritually unclean. Of course, he couldn't go to a priest and say, can you offer a sacrifice? No, you couldn't. Not until you were clean. You were in this bind. Religion offered you cleansing if you were well. If you were sick, you couldn't have it. You couldn't get rid of this disease. There was no cure for it. That's why they said at Jesus' time, the only person who could possibly cure leprosy would be the Messiah. And it became a sign of the Messiah. There were three miracles that the Messiah would do. And the first one was heal leprosy. Because in the entire history of Israel, only two people have been healed of leprosy. One of them was Naaman, who wasn't even a Jew. The other one was Miriam, Moses' sister. But that was before they became a nation. The law was given and stuff. So it was sort of outside of them. So for a couple of thousand years, despite the fact that in the book of Leviticus, chapters 11, 12, 14, I think it's 14, 2, it describes what offering to make, not one person had ever been to the, to the temple and said, here, I've been healed. Not one sacrifice of thanksgiving had been made because nobody had been healed of leprosy. It's hard to imagine what it would be like to be so physically sick, so emotionally sick, and so spiritually depressed and cut off as that guy would have been, wandering around hoping somebody would leave food for him somewhere. And yet I think there are plenty of Christians who feel that way sometimes because they haven't dealt with stuff in their lives. There are plenty of people who don't go to church who've got something that's causing something else that they can't get cleansed from because they don't know Jesus. They don't know this healing. But this passage here tells, to tell you, tells us two things. One, God does heal and he wants to heal. If you're willing, you can make me, you can cleanse, you can make me whole, you can cleanse me. And I know why he must have thought all sorts of things about why he was sick. Why me? Why have I got this struggle? Maybe you think that. Sometimes, I, why have I got this? Why is it me who's got this? Everybody else seems to be okay, but me? Why is it me? Why have I had this happen to me? I can't answer the question for that. But I do know that whatever's happened to you, God can cleanse and heal it. Whatever's happened to you, God can cleanse and heal it. When you come to Jesus, I like this guy. He's, he's sort of a bit like us because he comes and he's, even though he's covered in this horrible disease, 
And he's had this bravery to break through the crowds and come running up to Jesus before anybody can catch him. And he's, it's literally on, he comes in on his knees and begs him. It's the same word they use for when you come to a king and ask for a favor, when you worship God, lean toward to kiss, I worship, I adore you, come. And he, so he comes to Jesus worshiping him, knowing who he is. Having heard from a farm, it's finally, he's, he's at the edge of the villages listening to Jesus preach and teach. And he's seen people going away, jumping up, down, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. And he's come to realize, this guy's the real deal. So there's no doubt in his mind that this guy can heal him, can cleanse him. What's the only doubt? Is he willing? And what does Jesus say? What does he say? I am willing. Be clean. That's who our Jesus is. That's who our Jesus is. When you come on Sundays, I, I always hope I've got something to say that's of some failure, but you know it's the most important thing that when you come here, you, you fall in love more with Jesus. And this is the Jesus who is willing to cleanse and heal those who nobody else would touch. There's a thing about some of the addictions people get into and some of the struggles they get into. They feel so ashamed and so unclean, they can't tell anybody, so they get isolated and then nobody touches them. And they've got no support and no help. What else can they do? Where can they go? They're, they're, they're in the wilderness somewhere, listening in to other conversations, seeing other people have a good life. I just want to know... You know, if that's you, you can come rushing to Jesus, get on your knees and say, I, I know you can do it, but do you love me enough? Do you really care about me, the state I'm in? Do you care? I'm willing. I'm willing for you to be cleansed and healed, made whole, given back to your family, come back to worship, come back to church. That's what this, this verse says. He is willing. There's another interest. I'm not going to preach long today because I just feel like God wants to do something without too much preaching. Uh, so if there was a non-Christian here today, somebody who doesn't know Jesus, I'd say, get on your knees, come sliding in now. If you're a Christian and there's something in your life you know needs cleansing, I'd say, get on your knees, come sliding in now. But if you're a Christian, I've got another warning for you. You know, there was a... What did Jesus say? He said, go and... Don't tell anybody. Actually... It was a very strong command he gave. It was like, definitely, Sam, do not go tell anybody whatever you do about what's happened, okay? I want you to go to Rochester Church, go to Adam, and say, here's a couple of birds. You know, birdie birds, you know, offering sacrifice birds, not ladies. But I want you to go. It's a very, very strong, very strong command. What does he do? <laughs> Completely disobeys him. Oh, we've got somebody on the phone. It wasn't me. I always feel good when it's not me. Anyway. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, that, uh, slight deflection. So here's the guy. He's just been cleansed of the most horrific illness you could ever have. He's jumping up and down thanking God, and yet he's disobedient. Now, you can kind of see why he's got to rush around and tell anybody. Because he's got all this good stuff happen suddenly. Because Dr. Luke, you know, who, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, when he described his story, he says the guy was full of leprosy. He just says here he had leprosy. Full of is the bit you are just before you die. So this is a guy who's lost toes, lost fingers, maybe a nose, maybe an ear, whose flesh is literally rotting. You could smell him before you could see him. 
That's how awful it was for him. So he's had toes jump out, he's had fingers pop out, he's had a nose job, and next thing you know, he can't help himself, he's going out there praising God. But here's the thing that God spoke to me about, he said there's quite a few joyful but disobedient Christians out there who, who know they're saved, who are experiencing the benefits of their salvation, but they're not doing what Jesus asked them to do. And what's that called? It's called disobedience. Is it good to be disobedient to the Lord of all the earth? No. Can we agree on that? Why not? Because there's no blessing on disobedience. Whilst there's a massive blessing on obedience, there is a negative blessing on disobedience. So at whatever point in your life you're being disobedient, you're bleeding grace all over the place. You're weakening yourself. You're opening yourself to the enemy to come in and say, ooh, hmm, he's given me a club I can beat him with. Good, I shall beat him with it. And until you're obedient, until you say, sorry, God, you told me to, let me say, come early to church. Just, this is just for you, Pam, okay? This is for you. <laughs> God, you told me that those people come and set up early and they pray and they, they worship and I'm coming in at 15 minutes past. No, just kidding. That's not the big sin, is it? That's, that's just uh, something else. But you know, if God speaks to you about something and you don't say, okay, I better sort that out, there's a time at which he'll just stop speaking to you about it. And that numbness will develop into a sore. And it will hinder your walk with him. That, that's, can we agree that's not a good thing? So I, I don't know what God's been speaking to you about lately, if he's been challenging you to pick something up or to lay something down. But if he's been challenging you and you've been saying, <coughs> oh, it's such a great thing. I love Christian. I love being a Christian. God's so good. Lord, thank you for providing all I need. Thank you for giving me a Christian family. It's so good. Tony, what about that thing I asked you to do? Or that thing I told you to put down? Oh, God, I'm so glad I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. But at the moment, I'm going to worship. Does that make sense? If there's something God's asking you to pick up, pick it up. If there's something he's asking you to lay down, lay it down. Why? Because he wants to cleanse and heal you and bring you into the fullness of his kingdom. It's not so you can have a bunch of obedient little robots. He doesn't call us to do this, you know, for his benefit. He's full of benefit. He does it for our benefit. He didn't die on the cross for his benefit. He died on the cross for our benefit. He doesn't ask you to do something for, your, for his benefit. He does it for your benefit and for those around you. Now, I'm not suggesting that because this man didn't go, because Jesus had a reason for this. Jesus always has a reason when he asks you to drop something or pick it up. The reason for him saying go there is because he knew that Jews were now watching him and they'd triggered, he had triggered the Messiah watch. And the Messiah watch is basically when somebody says they're a Messiah and they're plenty of them, you started to observe them and watch them and see what they were doing. Then after a particular time he came back and reported and then you were allowed to go back and start to question them. So at first you're reading the Gospels, they watched Jesus but didn't say anything. That's because they're in the first stage. Then they start questioning him and trying to trip him up. Second stage. 
So if, if this guy had gone to the priest before he went anywhere else and been obedient, and the priest had been confronted with a man healed with leprosy, with his little offering, man, that would have been something else. And that would have put them in quite the dilemma because they taught themselves, it was the Pharisees who taught that only the Messiah could heal leprosy because they'd never been able to do it. They had no cure for it. So they said, oh, only the Messiah could do it. Can't blame us. So that was the teaching and everybody knew it. If this guy had gone and said, well, here I am, you know me, I had leprosy for 10 years, I was just about to die of it. Jesus came, I'm healed and I'm cleansed. Can I please offer my two little birds and my bunch of grain or whatever it is? And then I want to come back to church, thanks. Now the priest is in a tremendous, the Pharisees are suddenly in a tremendous dilemma. They've got evidence by their own standard that Jesus is the Messiah. So it's going to be pretty difficult later on to go, Pilate, we want you to crucify Jesus. Who's Jesus? Oh, he's our Messiah. I'm sorry. I've looked and I can't find any sin in him, but you want him to kill him. And he's your Messiah? Gee, friends like that who needs enemies. So that would have put them in quite the difficult position. Sometimes when we are disobedient, it has an impact in the things that God wants to achieve. Because he never calls you to do something without a purpose. One, to strengthen and bless you. Two, to bless others. To somehow impact the world for the kingdom. So I'm not saying because he didn't do that, Jesus went to the cross. That was all sorted out. But one of the effects was he, Jesus couldn't do what he wanted to do the way he wanted to do in those towns because now everybody followed him everywhere. And he couldn't do what he... He couldn't quietly go around the towns healing because now so many people were going to be convinced he's the Messiah. They were flocking for him, and he got no time to himself. So this guy, having been isolated himself, ends up isolating Jesus. Jesus has to go to the waste place and the isolated places to get some time on his own away from the people. I'm sure he wasn't thinking that when he jumped up and down and said, you never guess what, I've been, I've been healed. The Messiah has come. So I just take from that that every act of even joyful disobedience has an impact in you and those around you and what God was trying to achieve. So if you know God has cleansed and healed you and he says something to you, please do it (laughs) for your sake and for the sake of the kingdom because he gives you things to do. He gives you ministry opportunities. He gives you gifts and talents. He says, pick this up, go do this. I've given you an amazing ability to say lead worship. Go lead worship, okay? If Fonamay wasn't leading worship, somebody else would, but it wouldn't be her leading worship. Wouldn't be the unique thing God had given her. Same with Matilda. If Matilda didn't preach, it wouldn't, you know, it'd be another preacher, but it wouldn't be Matilda preaching. And the reason he gave her the gift and gives her anointing is because that's what he wants her to do because it changes lives when she preaches. Whatever it is you are called to do, if it's a little thing, little things like serving make a difference in the kingdom. Little things like setting up make a difference in this church. It means that the same two or three are not doing it all the time. And if you said, you know, I'm going to help, I'm going to help, but you've never helped. You're a joyful, disobedient little Christian. That's what you are. So sign up. Help Peter. Join his rotor. Help Griffin Plam. Help their rotor. Open up your home. Help the whole fellowship have fellowship in your home. Time after, uh, over time. Does this make all sense? Okay. So what I want you to do 
is don't be a disobedient, joyful Christian. If you're ashamed, don't be. God can heal your shame. And it's amazing what can come. Once you've been cleansed, what flows from that? What could flow from you if your heart was cleansed? If you were healed of the thing that you're hurting of most? Because sometimes you're hurting with stuff that you did. It's not your fault. Does that make sense? Sometimes people do stuff to you and they wound you and you're carrying that wound and God wants to heal that wound. But if you don't come to him and say, heal this wound, there's a good chance you're going to carry it the rest of your life. The rest of your life. And that's not what he wants. Come to Jesus and say, if you're willing, make me clean. Cleanse me. And he will. Because he's willing. I haven't got time to go into healing and all that sort of stuff, but I'm telling you, God's willing to heal. And he's able to heal. And, and if you need healing, make sure you get the prayer tent right at the back there where Bernard and Rosa, are you both on the prayer team today? Or? Yeah. Cool. And there might be another prayer team member. And if, if God's spoken to you and you need healing, come and see them. If you need cleansing, come and see them. Say, look, I just, I've come to Jesus in, in my heart and my mind. I'm on my knees. I'm on my knees saying, God, heal me, cleanse me, release me, forgive me. And Jesus will do it because he cares for you. Jesus is willing. So I don't know how long I've been, but probably enough time for us to have some more, more worship before the kids come in. And, and if the prophetic starts to bubble up, if you, if you feel like God is speaking to you and you've got one of those verses or a picture that I was saying about before, it, may, you might, it might not make sense to you. But you have that nagging feeling, you know, I've got this thing in a word or a, or a picture or something, I can't understand it, but it, it might make sense to somebody else. I remember being in a big conference and it was outrageous stuff was happening. People rolling around, prophetic words everywhere. And a lady came forward with a word and it said, I love you, dearie. And there must have been 3,000 people in the room. And nobody took a bit's notice of it. And she felt a bit foolish saying, I love you, dearie, coming to the forward, taking the microphone. Except that for the woman who broke down in tears, whose grandmother always called her dearie, and had passed away and she needed to know that Deary had loved her because she wasn't always sure. Made a big difference to her. A big difference. So maybe you get one of those words. Uh, if not, that's fine. It's up to God what he does. But I believe that God is you know, here to heal and to cleanse, to forgive and to set free. And... Uh, as we worship, you need to respond. If God has spoken to you, you need to respond and say, oh, it's not good enough for me to be, a, be a, you know, a sinner anymore. I don't want that leprosy on my life. I need to give my life to Christ. You give your life in your heart, say, here I am, I'm so sorry. Uh, and then if you've got some other ongoing issue that you'd like cleansing for, that will set you free, and say that. So let's, um, let's pray now together. Heavenly Father, when I bring a prayer to you now, for all of those of us who need to give their lives to you for the first time. Here we are, we know, we've suddenly realized that yes, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The gospel is true, you are who you said you are. And I've been out of line with you. My whole life I haven't quite understood and I haven't given myself to you. I want to give myself to you now. I want to say sorry. I want to repent for all the terrible things I've done and the things I haven't done I should have done. 
I want to ask that I've come on my knees in my heart now. I'm on my knees. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Are you willing? And Jesus will say yes and receive you into his kingdom. Heavenly Father, bring us now. For those of us who have been joyful but disobedient in some areas, highlight them to us. Bring us too to our knees. Maybe we need to come like that, that guy with leprosy, just straight to our, your feet again and say, Lord and my God, forgive me for enjoying all the benefits and not walking in obedience to you. Lord, if there's one here for healing, there's need for healing, I pray healing would come for breakthrough in areas of physical being that's never been before. We want to lift our sights to you as a great God to do great work. So come, Jesus Christ, by your spirit, come in all your glory and meet with us and bring healing and truth and set us free, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.